Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and I'm following the advice of today's guests. I'm trying to enter every minute of the day with a bit more grace. That's my word for today. I don't know what grace means to you, but I'm trying to take a breath and be a bit slower because I've been super sick lately with this insomnia and sleeplessness because I'm on the go, 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 go person all the time and it's just taking its toll on me. So I'm having a lot of acupuncture and I'm trying to, you know, put my massage table out and I'm going to be giving myself some Reiki and going to be getting Ranjit to give me some massage because he's a massage therapist. And I'm just going to try and slow things down in my life because I think I have caught the busyness disease that our society is so often trapped in where we're just go, go, go to the detriment of our health. And even though, you know, I eat a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, you know, that mindfulness and presence, my meditation practices become very fleeting. I do these little quick meditative breathwork practices throughout the day, but it's just not enough for me. I need more stillness. I'm someone who is, I like to say, I'm just going to say this and know that tons of people listening are going to roll their eyes, but whatevs. <laughs> you know, I'm Sagittarius, <laughs> so I'm a fire sign and <laughs> I just feel like I am too much fire. And I know I had an Ayurveda practitioner talk about too much vata. I'm just too much as my wonderful friend Lance and many people who know me know is true. I'm too much. So my too much gene is turned up to full volume. And at the moment, I'm not sleeping very well at all. I'm having maybe three broken hours of REM sleep a night. And I'm just waking up feeling, unfortunately, I'm waking up feeling wired and ready to go, which it doesn't feel, I feel tense in my body and anxious and like I've had 50 coffees every day, which I just need to find a way to chill. So that's a big ramble. But if you're feeling like that too, or if you're feeling like you're just turned yourself on and have, have found, have lost the ability to press the off switch because you've got too many things on your mind and in your basket and on your plate, see what you can clear out, see what you can press pause on, see where you can eliminate added stresses and see if you can do things that help slow you down and maybe avoid some stimulants like coffees and teas and things that you find. Like for me, cacao, chocolate just hypes me up. See if you can reduce some of that for a bit or see if you can do some deep breathing or go to a meditation class or start listening to some beautiful meditations on Insight Timer or the Headspace app or the Calm app or whatever app you use. YouTube has, you know, beautiful 
meditations there too, or go out into the forest and just bathe in the trees and nature and just take some big deep breaths. Maybe do some yoga instead of cardio for a bit, because for me, I love cardio. I love my morning runs so much that it's like an addiction for me. But when I do them, I do know that they hype me up even more. So at the moment, I'm still doing them because they're my equivalent to having it. That's my bad addiction. (laughs) It isn't a bad addiction. But for me right now, I'm super, super heightened. And doing cardio seems to increase that for me. It gives me so much energy, which is why when people say, oh, you know, I'm too tired to exercise, I always think then you should exercise because that's such a great way of increasing your energy levels, which I love. It's why I love running because it gives me such a clear head. It cleans me out, freshens me up for the day. But at the moment, I think I need to do like qigong or tai chi or yoga or just shavasana for two weeks, I need to slow down. If you have things that work for you to help you slow down, put them in the comments in the show notes. I want more people to comment in the show notes. So put them in um, comments on the Facebook thread or Instagram or wherever or send me a message and say, Corinne, you know what you could do to slow down? So I'm doing at the moment I'm doing acupuncture, which I always find really relaxing. And I'm trying to yeah, get back into doing some self-healing and just doing every single thing in my tool belt to help myself calm down. Because, yes, I'm not a typically calm or relaxed human being. So that's where I'm at So this episode when Alison shared her tip about grace. And she was, th- she was approaching it from a having grace when you're transitioning to a whole food plant-based diet. And I love that word. It's just such a beautiful word and just being having the grace with yourself. So letting letting yourself be imperfect, letting letting yourself flow with it and, you know, obviously we don't want imperfection. Obviously perfection, you know, moderation, you know, my spiel on that. But I mean, forgive yourself as you're going along this journey because it's it's a it's a big shift for a lot of us. And the more hard we are on ourselves, the more difficult it can be. So the more grace we allow ourselves, the the more gentler and the more enjoyable and joyful life can be. So I loved that, Alison. Uh, I have gone off on my own tangent. Alison Tierney is on the show today. She's a registered dietitian. She's a whole low-fat, whole-food, plant-based dietitian, but she had her own journey here. So she talks about that in this episode. She talks about her pathway through polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, she didn't say that she is in remission to that in this episode, but we talked about that the the alleviation of some of those symptoms has occurred for her as a result of adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. We also talk about her issues with infertility, which you know I always find as a mother, I always... I always find it so heartbreaking when my friends and family and people around me struggle with fertility and when they desperately want to to have children it I can't I can't imagine because that wasn't my experience I was super blessed you know sometimes for me you know I had a brother who was very sick and I had multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia and I was very unwell but I was super lucky when you know, when it came to my fertility 
And I, that wasn't an issue for me. And so I, I do feel very blessed in that area. And I am so grateful that my experiences, my two children, it was it was just beautiful and effortless in that sense. So Alison talks about her struggles with fertility in this episode. And then she talks about her sister, her twin sister, Lauren's journey with lupus as well. And... Um, and Alison's family history of cancer and, and, and the work she's now doing as a oncology nutritionist. And it is just, just explodes my heart when I hear people using their, then transforming their negative experiences into something that is so profoundly beneficial to the community and, um, and supporting people with, you know, with cancer is such a very needed and noble career choice. I am so grateful for people like Alison because for me that would be absolutely heartbreaking. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like I would be able to do that. Those people a service because I've having lost a sibling, it's just too raw for me to be with people who are in that in that space where they have like a diagnosis, especially a terminal diagnosis, I find that very, it, it makes me catch my my breath because I f- instantly feel the suffering of that individual and their family. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not able to hold that space, but Alison can, and she does it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And from such a place of compassion, but also knowledge and awareness and you know, she utilizes all of the research and evidence out there that sa- that says and supports a whole food plant based diet being optimal for people with with diseases such as cancer and and all chronic diseases, as we are aware of from this podcast. Well, well, most I think that someone somewhere was talking about maybe epilepsy, but I'm not sure. If you know, there's like maybe like one thing that they're like this isn't going to work for. I actually have a question for my doctor, nurse, dietitian listeners. Have you ever had a person with Prada-Willi adopt a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet? Because I have a personal friend and her son has this disease and their recommendations for this disease is I basically a paleo diet with very very little limited carbs. It basically is a paleo ketogenic diet because of the way the condition works and the way they process carbohydrates or how their bodies, it's very easy for them to, to overeat or I'm not sure exactly about Prada Willie that much, but if you have information or you've met a patient with Prada Willie and they've had success on a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, I would be absolutely fascinated to hear from you. So if you know someone or you're aware of the condition, because I'm, as you can see, not at all an expert, I do know that they have issues with obesity and overeating and they struggle to have an... It's like they don't have an off switch for their hunger drive. And so they, they rec- doctors recommend no carbs because of that and yeah I'm fascinated to know if anyone has had any uh, 
any success with a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. Anyway, I'm rambling, but if you do know someone or you're a doctor and you can talk to me about it, I would like to talk to you about it. So please message me on my website or on social media or wherever you're listening to this. I would love it if you would contact me. Otherwise, please listen to Alison's story because her story is really, really hopeful and that's what this podcast's all about. You can also, and you definitely should, follow Alison on social media. She's at Wholesome LLC, which is www.wholesomellc.com and she's at Wholesome LLC across social media, Facebook and Instagram. And she has a blog where she posts about cancer and soy and her sister's lupus journey and all kinds of things and recipes, which she basically alternates each week. She has a five-day cancer program as well over there. So check out all of her stuff. Follow her on social media because she's a wonderful dietitian. She is super knowledgeable and just an all-round great human who I really, really love meeting and talking to today. So please enjoy this episode and enjoy, stay till the end because it gets good, I promise. I'm a bit flat at the start because it's morning and I'm just a bit tired. I'm not sleeping well, as I said, but it gets better and her tips are really, really wonderful. And just there's so much, there's so much goodness in this episode. So please stay along for the ride and check out wholesomellc.com. Hello, Alison, and welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I am very looking forward to speaking to you. That wasn't a very good sentence. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to speaking to you, and it's been it was nice of you to reach out and you know tell me a bit about yourself. So I, I love when people do that. So if you're listening and you haven't reached out, but you have a great story or a, any kind of story, please do reach out to me. Contact me on Messenger or Instagram or wherever or on my Facebook page because I love – it just is so nice to have people come on the show and share their stories and want to share, want, want to share their stories with people around the world. I'm always so grateful. So please, if you have a story and you're feeling shy about it, don't feel shy. It'd be great. I'd love to have you on the show. You never have to listen to yourself like I never listen to my episode. And <laughs> – you just just say it and then pretend it didn't happen and go on with your life. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Don't worry. And I've never had anyone write any. The only person I've ever had bad feedback about was my own episode. So don't panic. It's only it's everyone's always been really friendly about all the guests except from me. <laughs> <laughs> And that's fine, so don't worry. Um, So you can relax, Alison, because they'll only be telling me that I – my deficits. They tend to be super friendly about the people who come on the show. (laughs) So, Alison, please start at the start. Tell us your story from the moment you were born. Oh, wow. (laughs) You don't have to go back that far. Well, I think the first thing where my story, I guess, really starts is um, when I was about to go to college. And so I was about a 17, 18 year old girl. And I thought that I wanted to become a dietitian. But I kind of was always told that I wasn't good at math or science. So I should, no one told me that I shouldn't do it, but I was kind of urged against it. 
And so I kind of decided that I would do the family thing and go the business route. So I ended up going to school um, with a business degree. And while I was in school, I was also on the softball team and playing competitive softball. Um, And during that time, my favorite class my entire time of college was my nutrition class. And so I kind of thought to myself, oh, man, I really should have done this nutrition dietitian route. And my boyfriend, now husband, was the most encouraging person for that route. And he told me, you know, you are really good. You're really interested in this nutrition thing. You should really pursue it. And I thought, it's way too late. I don't need, you know, I, this is something that I should have decided further beforehand if I wanted to do it. And so after some time, I graduated from college and I knew that I wasn't going to pursue the nutrition right away because I was already a junior in college. I was already close to graduation and I was playing softball and the school that I was at didn't have a nutrition program. So when I graduated, I ended up getting a scholarship from the NCAA, which is the athletic association in the United States. And uh, to go to graduate school. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll do the next step, which is to go to graduate school in business. And I started looking at the classes that were offered with the program that I was looking at. And I was, oh, this sounds so boring. And I wasn't interested at all. And I was about to pay the tuition bill, sign up officially. And my husband, we were still dating at the time, but he goes, I just want to let you know that I 100% support what you want to do, but I want you to make sure that this is what you really want. And he said, I really do think that you should still consider nutrition and becoming a dietitian. But if you want to do this graduate school in the business world, go for it. I am going to support you 100%. So he really got my mind turning to decide if this is something that I really wanted. And just a little bit of a background as when I was in college for my business degree, my mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer when I was a freshman. And I was away from home. And I didn't get a chance to be around when she was getting treatment and kind of see the whole progress. But then when I was a senior in college, my grandfather was diagnosed with liver cancer and eventually passed away. Uh, My Grandmother was also a breast cancer survivor, and then my other grandmother had passed away from lung cancer before I was born. So there was a lot of cancer in the family, and I really had started transition my idea from nutrition, from performance nutrition through athletics to oncology and cancer, and trying to understand could nutrition have prevented this? Could it have altered the paths? Could it have helped them during the course of treatment? And then also help them in the prevention of recurrence. And as I went on to learn through nutrition and dietetic school is that there's a yes, yes, and yes to all of those questions is that nutrition can play a huge role in the development or the management treatment and possibly even reversal of cancers and so forth. So When I was in school to be a dietitian, I had told all of my professors that oncology nutrition was what I wanted to do and that I wanted every opportunity that I could get. So I was really fortunate to have some great opportunities and have an internship in oncology nutrition at a well-known national cancer center. 
And I became an intern there. And the funny thing is, is I became an intern, but the Friday before I started my internship, they hired me on full time after graduation. So, yeah, so it was, I mean, all the things were falling into a place. It was exactly what I wanted. And so I started that career then as a registered dietitian. And the place that I was at, it just didn't feel right. And I was also commuting a really long distance, about an hour and 15 minutes each direction. And I was also in graduate school full time as well. And then a position became available at the local cancer center where my mom was actually treated um, during her cancer treatment. And the position opened up and they were looking for for a full-time dietitian to manage their oncology nutrition program and truly just build the program. So I was offered the position and I started building an oncology nutrition program at the local cancer center and I was managing three different sites. So during that entire time, I can tell you in the beginning, plant-based nutrition was not my focus and it was not the focus that I had been taught. Um, even though there was more things coming out about international agencies, um, the American Institute for Cancer Research, et cetera, we're starting to come out with the idea of focusing on a plant-based diet. And my diet was not completely plant-based. I could say that I had an overall healthy diet. Um, it was not the sad diet. We didn't eat a lot of fast food, a lot of highly processed foods. We had a fair amount of fruits and vegetables, but I wasn't eating legumes the way that I do now. Um, So it definitely is different now than it was several, several years ago. But what really happened is I started doing my own research in nutrition to figure out how I could best help my cancer patients. And when you're going through school to learn um, dietetics and become a registered dietitian, I think we had about a one hour course on cancer the entire time of the entire career. So if you're diving into oncology nutrition and want to become an oncology dietitian, you kind of have to teach yourself which is a good thing and not necessarily a good thing altogether. So I started diving into the research and I am very driven, self-driven to always continue learning. So I was learning more about this plant-based diet and how it's not even just beneficial for cancer patients, but other chronic diseases. So I started learning more and more and started recommending it to my patients. But then I realized that I wasn't following the recommendations as they were. And so it became one time, it was just one September that I decided, you know what, I'm going to cut meat out of my diet for September and just see what happens. Well, I never went back. Um, And then I was slowly reducing dairy for my diet as well. And so for some of your listeners, so I'm from Wisconsin, which is called the dairy state in the United States. So cheese and the milk is huge where I live. And to hear someone even reduce their dairy or stop drinking milk is kind of, I don't want to say unheard of, but very questionable from where I'm from. And so I slowly started reducing that from my diet as well. And I started seeing so many significant improvements in my life in general. So I have polycystic ovarian syndrome or uh, PCOS. And so mine is mostly comes through not just the hormonal changes, but I definitely see a lot of that in acne. And my acne started getting better. And I just started experiencing all these benefits. So I continued on the plant based diet. And 
I would say that I was kind of like an 80-20. I was doing mostly plant-based, but it wasn't completely a whole food plant-based at the time. And during that period, uh, my husband and I were trying to start a family and we were struggling with infertility and weren't being successful in getting pregnant. So as time went on, I finally decided that I'm going to dive into even more research for PCOS and infertility. And I decided that I was going to adopt a whole food plant-based diet 100% to see if I could get pregnant. Now, a lot of people don't actually believe this story, but um, three weeks after I adopted a whole food plant-based diet, I became pregnant. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Yeah. So, and I do have to say like the, the background story of that is I was already reducing meat. I had already reduced dairy, but this was really like the jump from like 80, 20 to a hundred percent. And how long had you been trying to get pregnant? Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Uh, about a year and a half we were trying to get wow. pregnant. So, and even when I called my doctor to tell him about the positive pregnancy test, they were really confused because we were kind of in this cycle of trying some medications and then we were on this break of medications and it was um, actually kind of a, a roller coaster, which many people are familiar with when it comes to infertility. Um, and I fully believe that the plant-based diet truly helped get me pregnant and to sustain a healthy pregnancy along the way. And so, um, honestly, since that moment that I decided that I was going to be a hundred percent plant-based to try to get pregnant and get successfully get pregnant is when was the turning of the page for me and staying a hundred percent plant-based. That is such a fantastic, oh, it's incredible. And it's, we've had a few women come on the show talking about fertility and every time, you know, obviously so many things are in play, like many of the women had, had been through IVF or they'd been through, you know, trying everything to to get pregnant. And and every time it's 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 so wonderful to hear that you have, it's just, because I know the joy when you, when you get that, and I didn't have fertility issues, but when you get that pregnant, positive pregnancy test, when you, just for me without any fertility issues, I got pregnant first try, but um, which I always feel so bad when I tell people who've had fertility issues that I got pregnant first try. But I mean, I was so happy. So I can only imagine the happiness and joy that you would have felt when you, yeah. after a year and a half of trying. Yeah. And we had a little bit of a scare during like, just try, like, I think it was, we went to our first appointment and we didn't know when we had actually conceived because my periods were so irregular. Um, so they had to do an ultrasound and they did an ultrasound and they weren't seeing the things that they were supposed to see. So we, it was a little bit of a scare and they kind of told us like 50% of this ends in miscarriage, 50% goes on to be viable. Um, so we were scared and I was just, that was another thing. I'm hundred percent diving in and um, I'm happy to say that we had a very safe, healthy pregnancy the entire way. And my daughter is amazingly healthy and we raise her plant-based as well. So that's kind of a fun thing as well. Um, so like, that's kind of my infertility PCOS story. How did your husband go with your change of diet and with raising your daughter as a whole food plant-based? Yeah. So um, my husband is not a hundred percent plant-based but we eat 100% plant-based at home. So when we go out to eat and so forth is and oftentimes where he'll get 
maybe a hamburger or fish or something like that. But he is more and more getting um, vegetarian plant-based options when we go out to eat as well, which is so fun to see. Um, But when I told him that I wanted to go plant-based, his response was perfect. But he's, I just asked him, I don't need you to do this with me, but I would like your support in it. And his response was absolutely anything that you think that can help. I am all on board. So he would definitely eat the meals with me and make the meals with me. And he might add a little bit of cheese or meat or fish to the meal, but then slowly but surely that stopped happening. He stopped asking me to buy milk at the store. Um, It just became our lifestyle. And so many people think that he's deprived and, oh, I'll make this for you because you're at my house and you don't get this at home. But he generally enjoys the food that we make and he makes it himself now. So I would say he's probably like 95% plant-based now. Yeah. Wow. That's so wonderful. And with your daughter, he was fine with that too? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, so this is the other interesting thing of it. My husband's a pharmacist. And so a little bit of those two worlds come crash a little bit every once in a while. when we're talking about kind of the natural approach to things and the, um, the pharmaceutical approach to things. But thankfully, I think our relationship has helped have a really good balance. And he talks to his patients about having a healthy lifestyle and appropriate medications and so forth. But so we kind of joke that he handles the medications and I handle the diet and those are the decisions and how we make them. (laughs) So since I'm the dietitian, I kind of got to make that decision, but he is a hundred percent supportive of it because he understands the research and how good it is to raise a child like that too. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. And, and so with your polycystic ovarian syndrome, your symptoms like the most, I guess you had a regular periods you have, you found any improvement in your, in your cycle since going whole food plant-based? Yes, absolutely. So um, before pregnancy, I mean, even the year that we were trying to get pregnant in all of 2015, I think I had two periods the entire year. Um, And so now post-pregnancy and continuing the plant-based diet, I get them regularly. And I would say they're not perfect. They're not on point, but they're way improved than what they were beforehand. So, I mean, just to look back and see how much progress has been made from that standpoint really makes me excited. Um, And, you know, nobody really understands of the people that don't have issues, but when I'm like, I got my period. They're like, what, why would you want that? And I'm like, that's a <laughs> sign that things are working. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so it's, things are drastically improved. My acne is way better. Um, there's a lot of great improvements that I've experienced. With me and the PCOS and infertility and helping cancer patients, there's another piece of the story too, is that um, I have a twin sister and her name is Lauren. And Lauren uh, was diagnosed with lupus in 2013. And Lauren is absolutely my best friend, uh, not just my twin sister, my best friend. And the minute that we found out that she was diagnosed, the first thing that I wanted to do was help her in any way that I possibly could. So Mm -hmm. I dove into my nutrition books from school and lupus, what, what can we do with lupus? And as you can imagine, there wasn't much there other than follow a healthy diet. And I just thought there has to be more to the story, just like there's more to the story with my cancer patients and PCOS. So I dived into the plant-based diet first, but then I encouraged Lauren to try it as well. And um, it was really cool. Lauren 
hopped right in and went whole food plant-based as well. And it was really great to have another partner to do the diet with, especially amongst our family, because I I think social support is something that is so hard for many individuals to find when they're going plant-based. But I luckily had that in my twin sister who lives five miles down the road from me. And uh, what was really cool is Lauren made a chart of her different markers and lupus, like her blood test markers, and what happened in her life with all those different markers. So she was put on methotrexate, which is um, actually used in high doses for um, cancer patients, but she was on a lower dose. um, And then Placnol, and I think she told me that she was taking about 16 pills a day um, at one point. And now to this day, I can tell you, thankfully, that her disease is now in remission um, and she only takes one medication anymore. Um, And she's been flare free, I think, for a year and a half. Um, She's doing incredible. She can do all the things now where she, you know, there was at one point where she couldn't get out of bed by herself. She couldn't brush her teeth. She couldn't open a jar. There were so many struggles that she experienced. And now she lives life pretty much just like any healthy individual. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So there's a I mean, I can't advocate for a plant based diet enough um, to see these benefits, not only personally, but also in my sister's life, and in the many cancer patients that I work with as well. So going back, just, just a bit more about your sister. So she was she was significantly unwell. Like I think when I was first on my way to get diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, they there was a brief moment when they thought I had lupus. And I was, you know, I was tired, I was in lots of pain everywhere in my body. I was just feeling horrible and I couldn't really lift my arm over my head and all these things. And so the diagnosis, she said she thought it was, but she read the test results. I had lupus for a week (laughs) and then she read the test results again. And she was like, oh no, no, it's not, it's not lupus. We don't know what it is. But I wasn't significantly unwell at the time. And obviously I didn't have lupus, but I mean, your sister sounds like she was significantly unwell. Can you describe what her life was like before a plant-based diet? You touched on it a little bit, but I really would like a bit more because people who were listening, you know, we we hear lots. Lupus is one of those mystery illnesses that people, I think they even know less about than they do about multiple sclerosis, but they're kind of similar. One's attacking the nervous system from from what I can gather and one's the immune system attacking the organs. Is Is that right? Yeah, you're right. So, yep. So lupus uh, can in affect individuals differently, but it like it mostly the detrimental effects is definitely not just pain in the body, especially like the joints, but it can ultimately affect the organs, especially like the kidneys. So for example, a lot of people with very uncontrolled lupus, um, they will experience um, kidney failure and oftentimes need a kidney transplant. So we're lucky in the fact that Lauren, um, she hasn't had any damage to her organs. She experienced the all of her symptoms were coming from her joints. It started with really swollen wrists and they thought it was carpal tunnel. So they kind of just kind of started with that and it took her a while to go in. And I, and by a while, I mean a few months to me, that's a while because I am in the healthcare space. And I said, you know, that's not right. You need to go get that looked at. Um, but she couldn't like move her wrist. How old was she at the time? We were 24. 
24. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she couldn't move her wrist. And then it just got worse and worse. Like she'd have a lot of knee pain. And then there was one morning she was still living with my parents at the time. And she couldn't get out of bed. She had to call her parent, my parents to um, help swing her legs out of bed and walk to the bathroom, etc. So um, it, it changed her life. That would have been so heartbreaking for your whole family. Yeah, it was really hard to watch, especially you know people talk about with twins that you have like this you know this other sense that you can tell when they're hurting and so forth but it's really you're so emotionally connected to them that you don't necessarily feel the pain but it just breaks your heart to be able to watch that as well and when you're a twin sister that doesn't have the diagnosis and you're kind of literally the same person it feels like it very heartbreaking so to be able to um see her live her life and do all the things is awesome it's so cool yeah wow that is amazing so how long was she unwell for before a whole food plant-based diet um i think it was about a year and a half so because she started the plant-based diet in 2015 and she was diagnosed late 2013 yeah, so she was improving a little bit with some of the medications. It was under control a little bit, um, but not until that marker when I was talking about the lab results and when she had these different moments in her life, you can see the markers go up and down. And then when you see she marked plant-based diet, her double-stranded ANA drops like crazy, which is the marker for lupus. So it was it's just so cool to see. Um, and I told her, you need to share more people you need to share that with more people, the lab results and the indication of when it happened. Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah. Everyone, everyone needs to hear these stories. Everyone needs to hear them. So so with your work now. Yeah. So, um, so with my work now, um, what I – a couple of things that I want to say is just the fact that um, cancer – with my cancer patients, I've seen incredible, amazing changes with my patients. So um, I have a patient who's very near and dear to my heart. Um, she has stage four melanoma, which is unfortunately a horrible disease. She does get um, conventional treatment, but after just one cycle of a treatment and the implementation of a whole food plant-based diet, she no longer has any evidence of disease. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. So for yep. people who aren't familiar with stage four melanoma, like what 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 does that look like typically for people? Well, in terms of like prognosis. I, I know it's different for everyone, but yeah, in terms of prognosis. Yeah. Well, it you can live with it, um, but not for a very long period of time if it's uncontrolled. So to have no evidence of disease after one cycle of treatment is almost unheard of. So that kind of puts it into perspective. And then I also have another patient who has metastatic breast cancer, so stage four breast cancer that metastasized to her lungs or moved into her lungs. And she had two nodules on her lungs. And her doctors pretty much told her, like, we don't really have much else for you other than keeping you comfortable. And we want to try to get you to your son's Naval Academy uh, induction. And I started working with her in I think it was a March or an April and her son's induction was in June. So like that was her life expectancy. And she adopted a whole food plant-based diet and 
the next scan that she had was the first time she didn't have progression of her disease and actually showed regression of her disease um, with one of the nodules completely gone and only 25% of the second nodule remaining. And she is still living well. That was, um, it'll be two years now um, since I started working with her. That And so she had a few months to live by her doctors and it's been almost two years now. How does that feel, honestly? Because you're literally saving people's lives. Well, at least giving them a lot longer and a better quality of life. You must just smiling all day when those when those types of situations happen. Because I'm sure that they aren't the they aren't all the time. But I mean, when you get something people like that who have such a you know who commit to a whole food plant based diet and then and then have such great results, it must just feel so good. Oh, it's amazing. It it makes you obviously just want to continue this work as much as possible and spread the word. And that's why, you know, seeing podcasts like yours and other physicians and dietitians and other just healthcare wellness advocates is so amazing to spread the knowledge because you know, when I think about these awesome stories and success stories of these patients, I think about my own family members. And not to say that this is a guaranteed fix for everybody, but to see the quality of life that they've had, the enjoyment that they've had um, is, I mean, it's invaluable. I mean, we just, we can't I mean, I just, I have no words, obviously. I have, <laughs> I have another patient who um, he was given, I think, four months to live with stage four tonsil cancer. I've never heard of tonsil cancer. How do you even get tonsil cancer? Um, tonsil cancer, um, high risk for it is usually um, smoking, drinking, um, unhealthy lifestyle practices from that standpoint of things. Wow. Oh, I feel sick just thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, oh. the nodule on his neck was, I mean, insane. Um, and he outlived his prognosis by four and a half years. And he, so I was trying to convince him for a long time to consume a whole food plant-based. He was probably 90, 95% plant-based with small amounts, but he was also 100% tube-fed, meaning that he was getting all of his nutrients through a tube, um, a, gast a gastric tube that went into his stomach. So he was blenderizing all of his foods. And so, I mean, that individual is near and dear to my heart. And I spent four and a half years with him and seeing him about every other week, and we would talk about nutrition, and we would talk about his life. And, you know, one of our goals was for, because I even shared my infertility journey with him. And we talked about how I would have kids, and he would be living into his 80s and seeing his grandkids, and we would just be able to do that together. And so those relationships that you build with your patients, um, I wouldn't trade anything for those experiences that I that I've had. Can I ask? Because I'm guess I'm guessing that when some people you suggest you suggest a whole food plant based diet, you may face some resistance. Are there things that have you found ways to move through that resistance with your patients who and and get them to? I guess what I'm asking is. Have you had patients who've been resistant, who you've, who you've managed to convince and that and they've actually gone on to become, you know, 100% plant-based or close to? 
Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of resistance. And I also, especially because I told you before, I live in Wisconsin, which is the dairy state. It people Cheese is like, it's a national treasure here. And, it, you know, giving it up is something that most people would say, oh, I could give up meat. I could give up eggs. I could give that up, but I couldn't give up my cheese. And so really how I approach it is I'll sh- I'll share the stories with individuals and it's not even just the success stories of metastatic disease with no evidence of disease, but the fact that you'll feel better when you're going throughout the course of treatment because research shows that you can have decreased toxicity. You can have less side effects, improve quality of life, better outcomes from your treatments. If we just have good sound nutrition throughout the course of treatment as well. So if you can tell someone you're going to have less nausea if you adopt a healthier lifestyle. They're usually gunning for that. They want that. Um, If you can tell someone, I can help prevent your constipation by choosing the right healthy foods, they, they want that. So that's usually what I start with is if we can help you just feel better with just small improvements, a lot of times those small improvements will lead to big improvements. And then when they're done with their cancer treatments, they want to know what to do next. So that's kind of a way that I lean into it. The other way too is, for example, is I just, I find it drastically important to share the research with an individual and let them make their own decision. And that's what I usually tell them. My job is to tell you what the research says, explain the research in a way that you can understand it and apply it in your own way. So I'm thinking exactly of a patient who I saw, I think it was like in October, November of the previous year. And she said that when she first met me and the recommendation of a plant-based diet, she thought I was nuts. She thought I was crazy that I'm never going to do something like that. So that was like in October. And then the following January, I think I saw her in February again. I was kind of surprised to see that she had scheduled another appointment with me, Uh, but she came back. And the first thing she said is, so I decided that for the month of January, I am going, I was going to try a whole food plant-based diet. And it is now February and I'm never turning back. And so just giving her the foundation, let her think about it, let her do the changes and assist her in the changes if she helping with the changes if she needs it and letting her apply it and see just how she feels. That is what's usually most successful for individuals is I tell them, try it for six weeks. And then you can tell yourself By saying, I'm just going to do this for six weeks, it doesn't mean you're going to have to do it forever. Because a lot of times that idea of forever, that idea of never eating cheese again is what blocks people mentally. Absolutely. But if anybody can do something for six weeks, anybody can do something for five days, you know, just starting with those slow periods and let them experience it for themselves. Because I can share these stories. I can share the incredible benefits that I've experienced, that you've experienced, that so many people that come on this podcast of experience, but not until someone tries it themselves, are they really going to understand? You can't describe it because as many of us have said on this show, you think that your normal is normal when your normal is yuck. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people think this is just normal. This is my homeostasis. I just feel tired, sluggish, constipated, bloated, gross. This is life for a human. (laughs) And, And it's, and it's not until you've done this for, like you say, five days, even five days is a big difference. 
when you start going to the toilet regularly and you just start feeling more energy, more energized, you know, it's such a big difference. But we don't know. I did not have any idea. Like I thought the MS was the thing I had, but there were so many other yuck little little things that were making me feel yuck that I just thought that's what human life's like. Right. And I think the thing on that too is that some people – they don't they don't realize what feeling good is until they actually feel what it is. And you like how you said, like, I feel like that's just what everyday life was like. It's from the standpoint of you think it's normal to maybe not go to the bathroom. You know, oh, it's normal to go to the bathroom every few days or so. Or I had a patient who told me she goes to the bathroom once a week and that's normal for her. I said that may be normal for you, but that's not right. Yeah. Well, for me, it was like every 10 days, you know, I'd go to the toilet and disgusting. And it was a nightmare and a terrifying experience. But you'd meet some people that my mum would say, oh, you know, such and such. She only goes once a week. That's fine. You know? And so you just, I just thought me and that lady that mum knows, we just go once a week and it's, it's horrendous. Without thinking maybe me and that lady Something something ain't quite right there. Right, right. I had a patient who was actually this the one that I'm thinking of as a, a breast cancer patient and she where she uses the bathroom once a week. And I told her, I said, you know, that's not healthy for us, especially when it comes to secondary cancers. Because the if you aren't moving your bowels, if you're not using the bathroom, you're allowing that toxic waste essentially to sit in your body longer and the body's going to reabsorb it. And that's where a likely, that's where a lot of cancers can develop in the colon or the rectum and so forth. So you're putting yourself at risk for a secondary cancer. And she said, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to know that. So there are, there are individuals that unfortunately don't want to know the information. They don't want to know their risks, but there are so many more people out there that want to know. They just don't know how to access the information or hear the information. And that's where, you know, blogs and podcasts and all of these things are so important because there are most people want to know. Yeah. Well, a lot of people do. A lot of people still don't, but, you know, we'll we'll, we'll wear them down, like I always say, like erosion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We'll get get to them slowly. But I love what you're saying because I think that giving people the evidence and I, you're – your way of articulating yourself is because for me, I, you know, I get kind of, you know, I, I read, I read a lot, but I'm not very good at recalling and bringing that data out. So often I'll have <laughs> literally for my family, I will read and then I will write it into my notes in my phone or my Evernote or whatever so that I have it on hand when I want to, when I, when I want to give my parents <laughs> A, a, not a stern talking to, but just be like, look, here's the thing. Hold on. I'll just go into my phone and find it for you and then I'll read it. But you're so great. I can already tell just from talking to you at recalling that, that data, that information, that evidence and giving it to patients in a really friendly, warm, caring, compassionate easy to digest way. And one of the reasons that I became a social worker is because people like my parents who were navigating the system when my brother was very sick and dying, the doctors would come in and they come in and they bombard you with all this doctor jargon. And it's so disempowering for so many patients. And so I can just imagine, you know, your patients who have, you know, stage four cancers and all these things, 
you know, getting all this information that the doctors, you know, they're busy, it's not their fault, they're running around, they're telling them, you know, bang, 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 this is this, this, this is medication, this is what you have to do, this is the prognosis, la, la, la. And it's crippling and debilitating for most people to get that diagnosis. And then where to go, if you're like a deer in headlights when they leave the room and you're just sitting there, I remember sitting there with my brother and my parents and they're just saying, you know, this is the surgery that you need. This is when you need to have it. You need to have it by this time. And, you know, you're going to have a peg feed from now on and you're going to have a tracheotomy. And this is the tube. This is the thing. And it's all happened so quickly that if, and then they walk out of the room and you're just there blindsided, just going, whoa, you know, now our life has to change so dramatically. Now I'm no longer eating solid food or I'm no longer able to talk when my, when my, he had a little, cap that go to, went, that went yeah. on his I don't know what that's uh, it was called a gross now, like stoma no that, that the yeah. stoma is the hole yeah and he has to hold the hole in order to be able to talk yeah well he had a little plug that would go on the hole in his yeah. neck and he could talk when that was on but I don't think he because he couldn't use his arms to enough oh, to to cover gotcha. it up to okay. learn that so he only mm-hmm. ever had could talk when he had that plug thing in and then when the tube was connected he couldn't talk at all at night time. But I mean, those surgeries, they were big deals. But I mean, the social workers in the hospitals or people like yourself who were coming, it was that we call them allied health here. Those are the professionals that would be able to take the time to actually sit with my family and say, this is the reality. And, you know, the dietitians like yourself. And so I love hearing that people like you exist out there with families because those patients have families, you know, they have people and it's a whole web of interconnectedness that these doctors come in and they drastically change your life and they're busy and I I get it, but they need people like yourself who can go in there and say, there's this, this and this and this that can also help. There's, you know, what about this? And, and, And try and offer some hope back in when the rug's literally being pulled away from these individuals and their families. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I think that is one of, I think there's a lot of things about the healthcare system, especially here in the US. I don't know the healthcare system in Australia, but is that the doctors are not trained in nutrition, right? And oftentimes- It's the same here. Yeah. And the patients will say, well, my doctor didn't tell me that, or why is my doctor not telling me that? And I also, so the way that I describe it to patients is that if I am diagnosed with cancer, I want my oncologist to know the treatment. I want them to know the prognosis. I want them to know the disease, like the back of their hand. I don't actually want them to waste their time with nutrition. And I mean that from a way of leave it to the experts like a dietitian to help walk a patient through that. Because if you have a 15 minute oncologist appointment, how much time is there for nutrition? And do I believe that physicians need to be educated in nutrition? Absolutely. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we can't all be a specialist in everything. So allowing our into allowing the experts to be the experts where we had some I've had some trouble with that with physicians where they don't allow the experts like a dietitian to be the expert. And that's where some of the problem comes in. I think that ego plays a big a big role in this. And it'd be great, like you say, if an oncologist and like for me, my instance, a neurologist and if they could Obviously, you want them. To, it's a specialist 
area. You know, you're specializing in an area. So, of course, they're not going to have three years on dietitian as well as, you know, three years on acupuncture and three years on Reiki, you know, they haven't got the time. They have to just focus on do, and you want them, you know, I remember listening to some podcast a while back saying, you know, you don't want your, your brain surgeon to also be a really good mechanic. Like you, you want them to be able to be really focused on brain surgery. That's their, you know, obviously they can be a mechanic on the side, but you really, you want your specialist to not say, oh, you know, I'm also an accountant and I also do a catering business and I also, you know, you really want them to know that they're only thinking about your brain today when they're operating on your brain. Absolutely. But what you, what I think we can both agree on is I wish that they would remove their egos, these specialists, and say, when, when a patient says, what about food? What else can I do? Say, hey, I'm not an expert in that. Speak to your dietitian, which they just don't often do. Nope. And that mm-hmm. would be helpful if they could instead saying, I'm the god of all things, I'm your oncologist, I've come here to tell you you have three weeks to live, pack up your things and tidy up your affairs, your life's over. Mm-hmm. I know this because I'm God. Instead of doing that, they can say that as well, but I wish that they would say, if you're frightened and you're worried, about, if, if you're looking into other things, perhaps talk to a dietitian or perhaps if you're frightened and miserable, you know, talk to a social worker or talk to a psychologist or whoever it is. If the patient's coming to you asking you what else, rather than just saying there's nothing else, I'm the oncologist, there's nothing else, or I'm the neurologist, there's nothing else, you'll get mm-hmm. sicker and sicker until you die. It'd just be nice if they could say, look, I actually, if you want to do diet, look at a diet, look at your diet definitely should. Why not? Right, exactly. If you've got three weeks to live, what do you have to lose? And the thing is, is that like, I absolutely agree that it has to do with the ego and that thing and just recognizing the fact that they can't know everything. But you, but also recognizing the fact that they should be have some education. And we, mm-hmm. at least at the cancer center that we work at, we try to make sure we educate our physicians about it so that they know enough about it so that they can say something and then do the referral where we still have physicians that'll say, Oh, nutrition has absolutely nothing to do with the development or the management of cancer. And you just want to, you just like, can't, you just look at them and you're like, are you serious? You know, and it it's also a disrespect to your practice as well, because you're like, I can push you all of this research, this incredible double blind randomized controlled trial research to show you that it does play a role. But once you tell a patient, it plays no difference. There are some people that will never listen to a dietitian again or other healthcare people. Absolutely. And that's what I, and that's what makes me rage on the inside and that's <laughs> tricky <laughs> that's tricky because I don't I, I don't blame people because as you said they can't know everything but I just I do wish that they and I know that a lot of going back to the to Ali McBeal <laughs> 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 I do think that we have we've become such a litig- we, we, we went through a stage of being such a litigious society where we would just sue everyone for every for everything and I think doctors got very frightened of suggesting anything outside of the worst case scenario so that they if they gave their patients any hope that their patients would come back and sue them and say you know you told me i had 2 years to live and now my wife's dead and it's only been 6 months i i, I can get that too they have to they want to they want to 
it's horrible, but take away all the hope in a way so that they no one can sue them for giving them any false hope. But but there has to be there has to be something in the middle there that's like, look, yeah, I don't know, I can't promise you anything, but why not speak to a dietitian if you think that that could help you? Because we, we yeah. they know that placebos work. If we don't if we know placebo works in so many cases so often. Even just giving people, that's what this podcast is really about, is that hope is healing in itself, even if they never adopt a whole food plant-based diet. Believing that you can heal is enormous, you know, it's enormously powerful. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't even know how powerful, we haven't even figured out the capacity of what our minds can do yet. Absolutely. There's so much more science to come out about that. And I think that taking away someone's hope, like for me, I knew that my neurologist was only ever going to make me sicker because every visit he took away my hope. Now, I'm not saying for everybody, keep going to your own if it's not. But for me, every six months he would say, you're hopeless. There's nothing the don't try anything. You're going to get sicker and sicker. That's just the way it is for people with multiple sclerosis. Oh, my gosh. And I just knew that that wasn't healing for me. I just knew that his hearing him every time I'd leave, I would just feel like, why get a boyfriend? Because who? what, what life are we going to have together? Why have kids? Because what life are we going to have together? Why get a job? And I was 24. What kind of a f- way to think is that? You know, four years. What's the point of going to uni? I'm going to be a sick person. Right. Why would I struggle with assignments and deadlines and due dates if I've got a chronic disease and I'm going to be sicker and sicker until I die, like my neurologist says? And I think that it's heartbreaking. So, you know, this podcast and hearing people like you talk about the work that you're doing, giving people back some hope, it's, it's everything to me is to hear Absolutely. people like you talk about that because – as a person with with a chronic disease, well, who you know, in remission, but I know what it's like, and I know for families out there, it's it's it can be everything. That absolutely, hope. yeah. I tell, always tell my patients they want to know like, what can I do to help better this? You know, my patients that do the best follow a good diet, they are physically active, and they have a good attitude. And from that side of things, I truly believe that it's okay to be mad and frustrated, but there's a point where you have to be mad and frustrated and get over it. And I don't want to say get over it, but use it in the right manner. Like I totally think, you know, I can only imagine the overwhelm and the frustration that comes with a cancer diagnosis. But if we, if we sit in that frustration and that anger all the time, it's not going to benefit us. And I was just actually watching a TV show last night and it said something, um, oh, it said something about, um, you can't be pissed off if you're not going to use it. And so, and I thought, and I turned to my husband and I said, that's really good. Like use that frustration and channel it to good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the thing. I remember listening to Dr. Ash, who's a, a neuropsychologist. I'm sorry, Dr. Ash, that I paused on that. I was just thinking, is it a scientist? No, <laughs> my brain just paused. Yeah. Her talk about anger, and I don't think it was on, it may have been on this podcast, but when she talked about anger, because it, it is an emotion, and I think that that's why we, we don't know how to deal with it, because we're never taught how to deal with the emotions that we find unpleasant. And so I think when you get a diagnosis like cancer, you feel these feelings, and we're never taught how to process them or move them through or can, or move that ang- transform that anger 
into something that's useful to us. And she was talking about anger and I, you know, like how most of us, you know, in the Western society at least, we never get taught how to deal with our grief or our anger or, you know, jealousy, rage, fury, all these things that are, they're on a wheel with us. We feel all of them, but we're only ever taught like in but we're not even really taught how to express joy. We're just taught, if you're happy, eat some cake. You know, like that's kind of, if you're feeling really good, it's your birthday, binge eat on absolute rubbish food. Right. You know, on the best days of your life, your wedding, gorge yourself on alcohol. And don't remember a thing. <laughs> Feel your love in a way that's completely toxic to your body and you pass out at the end of the night. We don't know how to experience our feelings any of them. and But when she was talking about anger, she said, you know, it's this, and I've mentioned this time and time again, because I was just like, whoa, you're so right. <laughs> She's like, you know, a boundary is being crossed. And that's just your body's way, your, your body's way of saying, oh, a, a boundary is being crossed. And if you stop there and just to stay in that angry place, then it's just yuck. And it just sits and you just fester in it. And it's, you spill it out at your family and your friends, whatever. But if you find, discover what the boundary is, you know, then and it opens a door and you can say, well, how do I, you know, with your children or with your life, how can I see this problem, this boundary, this thing that I've come up against and see it as a as an opportunity to create a change or to establish a boundary or to reaffirm, you know, this the situation in your relationship or in your life or to in in, in your situation with cancer to say, okay, I feel this anger because I feel this hopelessness and this loss and this, you know, I feel de- devastated and terrified and all these feelings and I'm angry that I'm, I have to feel that and I feel disempowered and all these things. How can I take control? And from, from me and from many of the guests on the show, once we felt that, that boundary, when we hit that boundary, we're just like, well, I don't want my life to be over. I don't want to lose my family and time with my loved ones and I don't want to miss out on X, Y and Z of the joys that life can bring. What can Alison say to me to help me change in a way that I can further enjoy those things in life that I love and those people that I that I care about? You know, can Alison help me with diet or can the social worker help me with grief and mindfulness and, you know, or a psychologist help me with those things or, or whoever can help me to get myself back in balance because I'm out of balance right now. But a lot of people sit with it because we don't see that, it's an opportunity. We, we see it as a wall. Right. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And I just to think that the amount of time that I spend with my patients talking about not just nutrition, but all the other pieces is, is incredible because some patients will be like, I'm sorry, this is not about nutrition. I'm like, but it actually is in the end, because if we can't resolve or come to terms with these feelings, it's going to come out in the choices that you make with your food or the fact that you choose not to exercise or all of those things. It's all about the whole person. And I think that's why it's also so important to have an interdisciplinary team to approach all of those things. Cause I can only do so much counseling for a patient, right? There is a point where I feel comfortable with that. And there's a point where the counselor um, is a more appropriate choice and having that appropriate, hey, we should really have you refer to this person. And I feel like the physician should be doing the exact same thing. You know, you've come to these questions, we need to do that proper refer rather than all the other disciplines making the referrals. 
Yes, yes, yes. I completely agree. And I, what you're saying was often with my own with my own health coaching clients, people will will start, and I'll say, you know, there's so many different factors in health. You know, we think about, you know, were you, are you being creative? Are you, how's your education? Is your, how are your finances, your relationships, your physical activity? All those things, because if you're broke and your husband or partner is an asshole, it's pretty hard to eat, make healthy food choices because you're just miserable. You know, if you're just struggling in all these different areas, going whole food plant-based you're in survival mode. Like so whole food plant-based isn't even on your radar. You know, it's so important to say, okay, well, not that, we, not that I can solve all of those problems, but let's just start looking how can we put some joy back in? How can we put some love back in? How can we make this life in general a bit lighter and more enjoyable so that you want to nourish yourself with a whole food plant-based diet and not just be like, this is another thing that sucks in my life. You know, I'm quitting dairy or I'm giving up meat and I love all those things. And I'm also in a loveless relationship and I also haven't laughed for two years. And, you know, yeah, there's taking, taking, taking away from people's life until they're just a a husk of themselves. Or you can try and nourish and give back and find things like, joy that makes them then want to want to love themselves enough they love themselves enough to want to eat healthy absolutely and in teaching other people where you can find joy in whole food plant-based right so many people find it as a restriction where my 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 foodie and my the person that i am and the amount of foods that i enjoy now then what i once enjoyed is huge. And I find so much more joy in finding new recipes or trying new recipes, finding new restaurants that have choices for us. That actually gives me a lot of joy. It gives Um, me a thrill. I love it too. Yeah. So there's, and I think that, you know, there's, it's, it's not just the whole food plant-based diet and the actual food on your plate, but it's what comes with it. It's, it's not just the physical health, it's the mental health, the emotional health, the often spiritual health that all comes with this change. Because, you know, I, a lot of people have heard, you know, just, if you do one thing all day long, get up and make your bed right? Because if you get up and make your bed, it's going to lead you to think, hey, I just did something. I just accomplished something. So now I'm going to go accomplish something else. And that's the same thing is if you can start with one healthy change in your diet, even if you're not going to remove dairy or meat or et cetera, just add in some more dark leafy green vegetables, add in some legumes or some whole grains, because chances are, that small change is going to lead to more changes. Absolutely. Uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. When you add in stuff, it just makes life seem like you're giving gifts to yourself every day. You know, just uh, I'm just eating extra salad with my dinner and making, you know, it just seems, or I'm just eating more beautiful oats with cinnamon. I look like I love adding that stuff in. You know, you like adding stuff in that make you feel really good. You know, I'm just adding in a nice romantic walk with my partner in the evening. You know, it doesn't seem like a that big a deal. But when you say, oh, you know, take away, take away, take away, I think mentally we just go burr, burr, burr. <laughs> we just shut we just shut down. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Alison, it's been so nice talking to you. And I'm so happy that people like you are out there existing in this world. But before we go, two things. 
where can people find you online and follow you on social media and all of those things? It'll be in the show notes as well. But Okay, yeah. So people can find us at our website, which is www.wholesomellc.com. So that's W-H-O-L-E-S-O-M-E-L-L-C.com. And on there, we do weekly blogs that it's kind of rotates between every other week. It's a recipe. And then every other week, it's a nutrition topic. So I have some topics on there about soy and cancer, sugar and cancer, and trying to dispel some of those common myths. And all the research is always cited with it, um, because I believe in that very powerfully. And then you can also read uh, my infertility stories on there. There's a little bit about Lauren's lupus story. Um, You can find a lot on our website. And then we're also on Instagram, which is at Wholesome LLC as well. And then also on Facebook, which is also Wholesome LLC. So those are the main places that you can find us. And we are always sharing tips and tricks and trying to keep it real in terms of um, what it's actually like to implement this lifestyle and that we're not perfect. Beautiful. So what would be your three biggest tips for people wanting to transition to this lifestyle? So my biggest tips. So number one would be to give yourself some grace. So there are some people that are going to literally snap their fingers and be a hundred percent whole. But the percentage of individuals that do that is actually fewer and far between. So if you can start with something small and allow yourself to, I don't want to say make mistakes, but if you allow yourself that grace and say, you know what, I'm going to take it on my own pace, then that's going to allow you to be more successful in the end. Um, And that's something that I tell my patients constantly, give yourself grace. And I remind myself that often too, (laughs) because I'm too hard on myself a lot. I know. That word has been coming into my life. You know, when you don't hear words for years and then all of a sudden words just keep, and so grace is just, and I think if anyone knows me, they know that this is exactly what I need more of in my life. If you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you will know Corinne definitely needs more grace in her life. So thank you for the reminder. I'm putting it as my top tip for life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My second tip would be to find support. And I can tell you that there are probably some individuals out there that might not get support in their significant other, their best friends, their close family members. And I can honestly say it was a little bit easier for me because I have my twin sister to be able to do that. But I have worked with a lot of individuals that don't have that close support. But your support As much as it would be awesome if it was your significant other, your close family, if that's not there, there's so much other support there, such as, you know, podcasts like this. Um, We have a Facebook group that we have where we're helping support people. We have a five-day cancer fighting challenge that gets people started and helps people um, experience that and also experience it with other people that are diving into. So find support, even if it's not right next to you or five miles down the road, like my sister and I experienced, but there is support out there, even in Wisconsin, the dairy state. (laughs) Awesome. Number three. Um, so, okay. Number three kind of relates to number one, but, um, keep this quote at the top of your mind. Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. I love that quote so much. Because if we're constantly focusing on perfection, we're always going to feel like failures. And I can honestly stay at the under 
at the other end of this microphone, I don't have a perfect diet. I don't have a perfect lifestyle, but I am allowing myself to try new things and, um, focus on just getting better rather than having a perfect diet. And I, I know that I'm never going to have a perfect diet. Um, there's going to be times where you, you can't always get a perfect whole food plant-based, but you do the best you can. So, um, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. I love that. And I loved talking to you. It was really, really inspiring for me because I, I always love speaking to practitioners. I'm, a, I'm not the, my, all of my guests' number one fans because I really am so grateful for you coming on the show and you're all so lovely. So I just fall in love with every single person who I get to chat to on this show. But I'm, I love, it really touches me when I hear people on the show like every single guest has a huge ripple effect on their community. Like you can't not because they're just bursting with vibrancy and joy. And I know that everyone that they meet, they are they are touching with their stories and their lives just through their willingness to share their stories on the podcast. You know that they're sharing it with people that they love and that they meet. But, you know, when I speak to professionals like yourself who are out there working, like, you know, with people with cancer or with heart disease or um, any other conditions like type 2 diabetes or chronic disease in any way, you know, knowing that there's people out there because it can feel like it's 2018 and we feel like, you know, we have Apple, you know, we have iPhones and things. We feel like we should be just all on top of all of the good things that could possibly exist, but we're still just starting. We're still babies really in the scheme of things about how we live and we have so far to go as far as talking to people and people educating people on the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet so i love that there's people like yourself out there who are helping to give people hope who are feeling in hopeless at the moment and people you know like yourself out there who are teaching people and educating people and spreading the word and helping this movement progress because it has so far still to go but it is it is very exciting times because it's it's obvious that the the ball is rolling down the hill and gathering moss gathering moss opposite not gathering moss which is which is the story yeah rolling rolling down the hill gathers no moss it's not gathering moss is that right everyone listening (laughs) michael fields will be listening to this and he'll be he'll be writing this in the show notes to me it's the wrong way that gathers no moss Well, anyway, this movement is rolling down the hill and it's, it's, I know that it's only going to get stronger and more commonly spoken about and accepted as just the truth of how humans are meant to eat. And it's people like you who are doing that, Alison. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I just want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing because I think it means even more when it comes from individuals who have unfortunately experienced that hardship through the disease and the diagnosis and seen that transformation and being willing to share that story. And it's not always easy. I'd love to see your and, you know, the last podcast you had with the emotion and all that, I just thought it was amazing. So thank you for doing what you do as well. Which podcast was this? Sorry, um, you're talking about your brother and um, how he and you were crying. Oh, oh my gosh! I wanted my husband to edit that out, but I forgot <laughs> to tell. I forgot to tell him. I, I, I hung up from that recording, and I thought that was too much. No, and 
Oh, that was too much. I don't listen to podcast hosts who are just weeping into the microphone. Uh, so I was going to say delete it to him, but I forgot because the kids came home and I just got distracted. And so you're the second person who's like, remember that episode where you were crying? <laughs> and I think, oh, my gosh, I completely forget that I But it shows that you're a real person and you're vulnerable and the things that are affecting us every day in our life can be healed with the proper choices. And to experience that much emotion and that much passion, it means so much more for so many people than you think it does to like cut it out is honestly something that I think in the end would have been a disservice to people. So I think, um, Thank you for sharing your true heart, because I think that's what people want. People want to hear what's real. And that's what we strive to do in our walk of life and in our business journey and so forth. So keep doing what you're doing, because I think it's incredible. Oh, thank you. I think what you're doing is incredible. So everyone go check out Wholesome LLC. What does the LLC stand for? A limited Liability Corporation. Limited Liability Corporation. Okay. Yeah. It is beautiful, the whole name. I like it. So everyone go check out at Wholesome LLC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? and No, not Twitter. And mine just goes there sometimes. So I don't, I don't have any involvement with Twitter, but, I, but, there's, but there, I'm there magically. Yeah, so if, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, great. Lovely speaking to you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Alison, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Please, if you have anyone in your life who's living with cancer or infertility or polycystic ovarian syndrome or lupus, this podcast would be so helpful for all of those people. Alison is such a wealth of knowledge. And please send them over to her website, wholesomellc.com and at wholesomellc on social media and follow Alison and give her all your support because she's doing such great work over in well, if you're in the United States, in the United States, uh, if you're in Australia, I'll say over in the United States, in Wisconsin, with people with cancer. And she has such a wealth of knowledge and information. I know that she'll be beneficial to anyone who is going through something as terrifying as a cancer diagnosis right now. So please share this on social media with your family and friends because, yes, you never know who these stories are going to touch, as I say every week, because I was one of those people and so was Alison. And more and more people are hearing about this way of eating and how it can help heal our bodies. And I, I want everyone to hear about it. It's, it's all I think about, as I say. <laughs> I'm up all night just thinking about it. So thank you all so much for your support and I will see you next week. Bye.